I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Shelley Flace, MD. Her, the title of her book is Nurturing Boys to Be Better Men, Gender Equality Begins at Home. A Persian-American raised in a home where her father taught her she was equal to males was pregnant with her twin sons and with a toddler boy already at home. The thought of raising three future men led her to wonder, what steps can I take as a parent to defy prevalent generational and societal messages like male stereotypes and toxic masculinity? How can I help my sons not only become full humans in touch with their creative, nurturing sides, as much as their athletic, physical sides, but also become empathetic, educated allies. She now shares conversation starting questions, age-based suggestions for books to read and movies to watch, and discuss together, and tips for addressing specific hurdles like division of physical labor and uh, of emotional labor. Dr. Flace, a board-certified practicing pediatrician, is an assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Dr. Flace. Thank you so much, Catherine, for having me. It's great to be here. Well, you're talking to the right person because I'm just going to give you a little (laughs) background. I have two brothers, an ex-husband, a male partner, three sons, and three grandsons. So I'm ready to go. (laughs) How's that? (laughs) There's nothing like being surrounded by men to make you aware of these issues, right? Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, and that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book for personal reasons and global reasons. You turn on the news, you hear about what's happening in our world. We can't necessarily play a role and impact those global things, but it starts at home. And I knew that if I were to have three boys within two years, because that's what a twin pregnancy will do, um, what steps would we take to make sure that my sons were part of the solution, not part of the problem? And so really, it's an issue that I've been thinking about for two decades. My oldest is now 21 years old, and my twin sons are now 19. I also have a daughter who's 17. But as a pediatrician, I look at child development through an ages and stages lens. And so raising my children was very much connected to my clinical practice. And it began to become clear, it became clear to me that there are physical, tangible things we can do, actionable steps to be part of the solution. And you also, besides you have the boys, but then you also have a daughter. So I would seem that would would be helpful to you on a personal level and as a pediatrician to make the comparisons right from the beginning. I mean, I notice differences from day, I don't know if it's from day one, but actually when when the boys start walking and playing and interacting, it starts out very different than with the the playing and the interaction and the connections that girls make. Can we start with that? I mean, even, you know, the first two years. Absolutely, because I think that that was very, um, it was a surprise to me how differently the world treated me when I was expecting a daughter after three sons. And especially even after the children existed, we'd be in a store and random strangers would come up to me and say, oh, you got your girl. And I thought, I didn't, you know, <laughs> parenthood, <laughs> get <your> girl. <laughs> is a, parenthood is a journey that you cannot get online a website and order exactly <laughs> what you want. You embark on a journey that has lots of unknowns, lots of questions. And regarding the assigned sex of your child at birth and who they eventually become, that 
um, it's so interesting to me how the world has views on it. And so I think that's part of why I was inspired to write the book, because as a parent, you can be as well-intentioned as you like, but then your child grows, interacts with the outside world, and then these societal, generational um, community pressures begin to take shape. Um, But the concept that I would somehow raise my daughter differently than my sons was very striking to me. And you said in your intro, I was very fortunate. I have two older brothers, and my parents never treated me differently, which is pretty remarkable because my dad was born and raised in Iran, and you would think Middle Eastern country, that belief system, we all have our you know, preconceived notions about what it would be like to grow up in a family like that. But I think, thankfully, was raised to pursue all my dreams and goals. I was never treated differently than my brothers. And so to be here in 2023 talking about these same issues, it's a little bit perplexing to me. I thought we would have been further along by now. So that's the other reason I had to write the book. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you wrote the book. And unfortunately, I don't think we are further along. I don't know how much further along we are. Uh, I'm a baby boomer. So I had a father, he was a lawyer, he was rather conflicted. He wanted to see, you know, a good education and, and do well in school, and maybe a career, but it was definitely a different react, you know, a different goals for me than for my brothers. So and that's, yeah. Different gender. I don't, but you I mentioned don't know. your original question was regarding younger children. I think connection at all ages and stages is huge. And so um, children can connect on different levels. They're all born with their certain temperament, personality, energy levels. And the, the group think is that boys are more active and they're climbing and girls will be sitting longer stretches of time, able to focus on a book or a craft. So it's all about meeting your child where they are. And pediatricians love this expression because whether we're talking about an active toddler or even an older child, it's about meeting the child where they're at, joining in on their interests, making connections. Because ultimately, when we talk about self-esteem, emotional development, we're talking about connections with um, our loved ones. And so finding the way, even when our children are young, believe me, I had three boys under 18 months. It was chaos. Um, But finding those quiet moments within the chaos, and then it certainly evolves as the kids grow. Parenthood is a moving target, and as soon as you've figured out your current state, it's already ready. (laughs) It's time to move on. (laughs) So when you're talking about, okay, we are talking about promoting a whole child approach, right? Uh, Yeah. yeah, and as you say, you're kind of recognizing that each child is unique. Each one of your each one of your sons is unique. They're all or the three boys or the, they're men or but they're they have their unique personalities. But is there anything that you distinguish as distinctly, uh, you know, when they were growing up, is distinctly male and uh, just in terms of their own behavior, not in terms of the way the society treats them or expects you to treat them, right? Yeah, well, I think there's that interaction cannot be avoided. Um, I'm really big on life skills, and the irony of parenthood is that we're raising them to have the life skills and be able to navigate the world on their own. And part of that is cooking skills. That's a life skill, the ability to feed oneself. So at a young age, I involved my sons in the kitchen. And if I ever posted on social media, oh, my son and I made this cake together, I'd often get shocked comments like, oh, wow, your son cooks with you. And I'm like, of course he does. We all eat. (laughs) I mean, that's the reason I like cooking. I like eating. (laughs) It's a means to an end. Um, Sons can be thoughtful. They can be great cooks. 
girls can also be competitive. I think that the thinking, the thinking that gen- characteristics are gendered would be a mistake. I'm uniquely positioned because my sons are identical twins. And so when you hear identical twins, you think they're the same. They couldn't be more different. And so it's fascinating to me to have this front row seat to two individuals born with the exact same genetic situation who are completely different people. And I've treated them the same. I mean, I guess. Obviously, that evolved as time went on. But I think that as a mom, I'm hypervigilant of um, a big theme with raising them was treating them as individuals and not just grouping them as a twinship. Yeah, and um, that, I, I, the other thing I just I think life skills I, that that is critical. Something that I did with my sons too, and and even in the and the grandsons. But the sons, you know, they're all good cooks. They're gourmet cook. I mean, they love you know. That's a life skill. As you say. We all have to eat. Uh, yes. And I just say, yeah. I have a grandson who is not sure he wants to be a ballerina or a fireman when he grows up. So he's got the whole. I uh, love it. Child approach has that. Yeah. A more recent example I can cite just happened a couple nights ago. Um, my daughter, I'm she should love me talking about this. She had kind of a rough day and she was feeling a little down that evening, but didn't want to get into the specifics. So I was communicating with her on the issue and just that I'm a mom of teenagers. I know when to push a little bit, when to back off and let them come to you. So it was in that moment that then my one of my 19-year-olds came home approached her and he said, how are you doing? What's going on? Are you ready to talk about it? And he just sat literally right in front of her, faced eye to eye and said, let's talk about this. I'm worried about you and I want you to communicate with me. And I was watching this unfold and was just so happy. You you wouldn't think that a 19-year-old boy would be wondering about his younger sister's emotional life. But I really love that he took it upon himself to play that role for her. Um, And so that's the kind of thing. I think that a lot of, as boys get older, when they need to confide something, it's with a female figure, um, a mother, a sister, a friend. Um, They're not necessarily connecting with um, other men on the topic. So in this case, obviously, he was looking out for his sister. But that's something that I discussed in the book, because when we look at middle-aged men, suicide rates are actually highest among our current middle-aged men. And I wonder if part of that is they don't have these connections and ability to share their innermost selves, and it leads to mental health struggles. So coaching our boys, part of the thought of the book is to allow our sons to be whole people, including communication, reaching out, knowing when to ask for help, because that's what it means to be a connected individual. And I think it's going to safeguard their mental health for years to come. And if there's one thing we've learned in the last five years is that mental health is truly at a crisis point for our adolescents and all age groups. But I think it's a way we can bolster self-esteem. So when you're doing and you're raising your boys and as you've raised your boys, what kind of, did did you get any pushback from other mothers? I mean, you're a pediatrician, you're an expert, so you're already sort of above the fray, but as, as, a mother of these young boys and, you know, promoting the whole child approach and, and helping the boys to to connect and to talk and learn these life skills that are traditionally or looked upon as female skills. Did you get pushback from family, friends, community, teachers? I wouldn't say pushback as much as raised eyebrows um, because all too often 
we have a side of the family that's very boy cousin heavy. And when the kids were younger, there were a lot of extended relatives saying, oh, boys will be boys, which is my most number one least favorite (laughs) phrase, (laughs) because it just pretty much throws the entire gender under the bus. And I also think it, you know, when we talk about gender equity, all too often the conversation is like, oh, men, patriarchy. As a mom of sons, I, I know how wonderful boys and men can be. And so I want to support that. They're part of the solution, not the problem. And so the assumption that boys will be boys, I think that that's, and, and sometimes I'm that person pointing out that that's kind of um, um over-encompassing statement. Um, so in, in answer to your question, did I get pushback? I think I raised some eyebrows. Um, I will say that the chores we assigned did not fall along gender lines because sometimes there's an indoor-outdoor mentality. Um, my daughter has mowed our riding lawnmower to mow our grass. Um, our sons do cooking and cleaning. Like, we make sure to give everybody every job, not just the outdoor stuff. Um, it's funny because as the American Academy of Pediatrics, we're very safety-focused, but I have an incriminating photo of my daughter at a young age with eye protection <laughs> holding a power <laughs> tool. She was completely supervised. We were being yeah. very safe, but... Those sorts of things, because ultimately, whether it's a boy or a girl, it's those life skills. Um, and often we hear, we don't want girls to have to depend on a guy to fix things. Well, similarly, we don't want men unable to make themselves a sandwich. You know, it, it goes both ways. So, Yeah, it goes both ways. You, you're, uh, the goal is for each one of them to be an independent person, utilizing the skills that, the innate skills that they have and capitalizing on those. When you're, and I think role modeling too. And role model. Okay. That was, that was my next question. Yeah. But in your practice, I mean, I am assuming that you may get many parents uh, or guardians who remember taking care of the kids um, who, are not necessarily good role models. So how does that work for you as a pediatrician? How do you, do you get into that? Um, you know, they, if. It, I if have it, written paper yeah. prescriptions for chores. <laughs> <laughs> and, and mind you, we have an electronic medical record. We've been e-prescribing electronic prescribing for years, but there have been times where I pulled out an old school paper prescription pad because over the course of a health maintenance checkup, um, I'll typically ask tweens and teens, what are your chores at home? Just trying to get a glimpse into their home life. And recently, I was met with laughter. These two young boys and the mom laughed, and they really don't have chores. And the mom relayed to me that the dad felt it was cause for conflict and felt it was simply, quote, easier to handle the chores and not bother the sons with it. And I think that's doing them a real disservice. And so for the parent who wasn't present, I did write each boy a paper prescription for some basic household chores, maintaining the house. And part of that is chores in a home, especially in the tween and teen years, shouldn't be seen as extra. I think sometimes with sports, extracurriculars, um, increasingly rigorous classwork, the thinking is you focus on that and we'll take care of the home. But then the kids are sent a message like, the important thing is what you do outside of the home, not within the home. And we need boys especially to learn part of life is maintaining the external things, but also the internal things and being a team player. And that my hope is that that means that when they're eventual partners, they're going to help take out the trash and take on some of the mental load of booking the kids' dental appointments. Not just taking them there, that's one thing, but the thinking about it and planning for it, that's another um, 
important step. How does this play into, and this would probably, uh, I'm not sure this is necessarily true, but as the kids get into middle school and high school, um, how does this play out with kids who are gay um, or trans? The, it, what uh, you know, cause this brings up a whole a lot of different kinds of issues, I would imagine. Uh, and I don't know many, how many necessarily gay kids or who are out or trans kids that you have in your practice. But uh, you know, I'd like well, to get your, we talked you know. about generations. I know yeah. you're, you stated you're a baby boomer. I'm Gen X. Then we've got yeah. millennials, and then we've got Gen Z. Right. And it is fascinating to me how differently each generation looks upon gender fluidity and gender preference. Um, sexual preference. Um, so I definitely have a diverse patient population. And I think it falls under the bucket of meeting a child where they are, connection, acceptance, um, because I think that's part of the big picture. When you, when you have a child, we don't get to decide who they are, how they are. Um, it's about nurturing who they happen to be. And a lot of that um, isn't up to us as parents. And so ultimately for those satisfying relationships, meaningful connections, it's meeting your child where they're at. And step one, and in my patient population, whenever I learn about a child who's come out, for example, how wonderful that the kiddo feels comfortable to let their parent know who they are. Because there's so much messaging from society to not do that. And that already says so much about the parent-child relationship if the child feels comfortable. The joke I always make is, um, and you've probably heard this too, if your teenager gets into trouble, you want to be the kind of parent who your kid is like, oh, geez, I'm in trouble. I need to call my mom. Also, as opposed to, oh, geez, I'm in trouble. I, I cannot let my mom find out. You want to be the first one. <laughs> you want to be the one that your kid can come to with issues, problems. So I think that that falls under that bucket of connection and meeting the child who they are. Yeah, connection and meeting the child who they are. And as you just said, I think obviously the most important thing is that your child feels when he or she gets in trouble or they can come to you first. I mean, that is key. And uh, then you know that the parent's doing the, doing the right thing or trying to do the right thing, right? I imagine. Um, and pointing out when we screw up because we yeah. will screw up. I screw up. Yeah. <laughs> And, I, and I'll point it out. And even there's been times where as my daughter's been growing, I'm like, oh, you're going to wear that? And then the kids have, again, a difference between Gen Z and then my Gen X. They remind me it's not what the body is wearing. It's everyone's reaction to it. And so I, I believe me, I get I have four young adults. I, I get wake up calls all the time. So by no means... <laughs> I think having that growth mindset and being willing to learn um, because our kids have so much to teach us and we're all works in progress. So I think that having that growth mindset really makes a difference. Yeah. So in other words, as a parent, you really have to be open as I'm listening to you. That's the word that comes. You have to be open to listening to them. And then, and sometimes the reaction as a parent, you know, is to, back off. No, I know what's right. And then you have to just stop, right? And you have to become aware of that's not what I want to do. I want to be open to what you have to say to me. And um, I think very often that's difficult for parents. Especially as our kids get older, they're busy in the teenage years. And so often the conversations get to, did you finish your homework? 
logistic things. Did you take out the trash? You want to make sure you still have protected time for those open communication. That's when you find everything out. And so if we as parents are always steering the conversation, um, we're not going to learn as much. Um, and to that end, I, even though it makes my grocery bill higher, I've tried to be the type of parent to let the kids invite their friends over more often because that's when you know who their friends are, what's going on. It's not cheap. <laughs> kids eat a lot. But you want these things happening under your roof. And then when you hear that, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so aren't getting along right now, for example, you want to be the parent for with whom that that your kid is having those conversations with. And part of that is coming from a place of non-judgment and just being open and then asking questions like, oh, what do you think about that? Because sometimes we'll hear about a teenage scenario and we'll jump in and want to be, well, that's not okay. Or don't they know they shouldn't do that? But if you ask, if you kind of pause, let them steer the conversation and say things along the lines of, well, what do you think about that? And part of it, sometimes they're trying to grapple through a decision-making situation and simply having you as a sounding board, they'll come to a great conclusion. But And being able to communicate the pros and cons, for example, with you is a big part of that. So I think my theme here is make sure you're not just talking to your teenager about, like, is your homework done? <laughs> you know, yeah. you want to make sure it's more than that. But somebody smarter than me said, by the time your kid is 12, they already know your opinion on everything under the sun. Yeah. So moving forward, part of it is having conversations. And it's not simply you repeating how you think the world should be. It's more getting their insight on things and having, you know, commun- you're building a relationship, hopefully for decades to come. And so I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And it's hard because when our kids are infants, they rely on us for everything. We are so involved. And it's a gentle transition, and it comes faster than we think. And our instinct is to hold on tight and think that we can control everything, but we really can't. Yeah, it's asking those open-ended questions, I think, as you're saying. You know, not is your homework done or did you finish your chores or, you know, what those not those kinds of questions. So leave it open ended. And I think one of the places you can learn from, at least I did, you'll learn a lot when you're driving all the gang around in the car too, because they, they, and I, I really just listened. I never really interjected or said too much, you know, you got five or six kids in the car, whatever. And, uh, and, and you learn a lot from that experiences as well. I think. That's Uh, a great example when you're doing other things, because if you're looking at each other, as opposed to my earlier story, when my 19 year old stared at my 17 year old and said, what's going on? (laughs) Not like him, like when you're doing other things, that's when kids tend to open up. And this goes for eight year olds. You know, one of my guys, one of our main ways of connecting was just playing catch in the yard. So simple. No, it wasn't rocket science, but that's when I found out For him in particular, that was, I found out quickly, that's how I learned what was going on in his life. Um, Because I'd just be quiet and catch the ball and try to throw it in his general direction. Although he would ask me to do pop-ups like a baseball player, and I'm sure the neighbors thought I had terrible aim, (laughs) but I was doing what my son wanted. But that's when you find everything out, when you're doing other things. Yeah, And we have to end on that suggestion, uh, because we have a couple minutes left, and I want people to know 
where they can get the book, where they can get more information, website or websites to go to for more information about you and uh, and what you're doing. You're, um, yeah. yeah, our book is available for pre-order on Amazon. Again, the title is Nurturing Boys to Be Better Men, Gender Equality Starts at Home. Uh, my publisher is the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is the gold standard for care for babies and children um, globally. So I'm thrilled to be partnering with them once again for another parenting resource. Um, so pre-order on Amazon, AAP Bookstore as well. And I'm also um, on social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, and I have a Facebook author page. So, yeah, it was great to talk with you, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you on the show. Nurturing Boys to Be Better Men, Gender Equality Begins at Home. And we've been talking to the expert, Dr. Shelley Flays, MD. Thank you. We really appreciate your uh, all your information. Um, get out and tell my, I want to tell my audience, get out and get the book. Can we listen to it on Audible? Is it going to be? I believe I'm fortunate my twins book is now an audible version. So my feeling is that a lot of AAP titles moving forward will be. So I believe that is the case. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 